the evolution of health and medicine has changed the ways a society has responded to the pandemics throughout history. The treatments have evolved with time and so have their view of the healthcare system. First off, I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Tori Moss, and I will be going in depth about the treatments of patients throughout time. I'm Olivia Hanlon, and I will tell you about how COVID-19 and the Spanish flu have both affected society as a whole. Hi, my name is Tori Moss. I'm recording here in McQuan, Illinois on November 5th, 2020, and joining me today is Tracy Moss. And in episode one, we're going to be talking about health and medicine. So how has the evolution of medicine changed America's view of our healthcare workers? More specifically, we will be discussing the aspect of treatment. The treatment of the 19th century patients was a scary time considering how much the surgeons lacked experience. That's a great question to get the overall idea of why we will be talking about the connection of ideas of how patients were treated then compared to now. What made the experience of the 19th century patients so scary? The remedies and the ways that the medical staff went about executing the treatments was the scariest part. They had remedies from snake oil to heroin, and many of these doctors that were using these remedies didn't really know how they would affect the patients. They didn't really have the knowledge that each remedy would affect each patient differently. So in this point of history, it was a method of trial and error. What is snake oil, and how would that have been a logical remedy? Among all the different remedies, snake oil was a popular one. It was used by doctors or salesmen that were just trying to make extra money. The snake oil actually came from Chinese water snakes that originated in the United States in about the 1800s. Although this was a limited resource then, doctors started to use false products in place of the actual snake oil. The hopes of this remedy was to reduce inflammation and treat arthritis, which was a big thing at this time because there were a lot of manual workers. You also mentioned that heroin was a popular remedy. Today, this is a very harsh and addictive drug. So how were patients or customers convinced to take this as a remedy? Yes, you're right. I did mention that heroin was also a remedy that was used frequently. Heroin was said and marketed to be the cure of the cough. Disease is a very big thing because they didn't know how germs worked or infection, and they didn't know how to stop or treat specific things. According to Bryn Holland, who is a History Channel journalist, It was marketed towards children suffering from sore throats, coughs, and cold. Some bottles depicted children eagerly reaching for the medicine with moms giving their sick kids heroin on a spoon. Then, after patients started coming back bottle after bottle, they realized that it was more addictive than they originally thought. That's insane to think that something we consider a bad drug today was used that frequently, especially for children. Are there any different remedies that they used? The other remedies included a number of things like cocaine. According to Bryn Holland, it was marketed as a treatment for toothaches, depression, sinusitis, lethargy, alcoholism, and impotence. Cocaine was soon being sold as a tonic, lozenge, powder, and even in cigarettes. Also, since the doctors did not really know how the drug would affect each patient, so some of the side effects included things from eating problems to hallucinations. Bryn Holland also stated by 1902, there was an estimated of 200,000 cocaine addicts in the U.S. alone. Other remedies were fen-fen pills, which were used originally as short-term diet pills, lobotomies, which were used to cure depression and sleeplessness, and shock treatments, which were used to cure kidney pains, headaches, and back pains. Things like lobotomies were the reason why patients were so scared of doctors. 
Yes, further information by Bryn Holland was from the first lobotomy patient. The procedure for a lobotomy included drilling holes in the top of the patient's skull and later evolved into hammering ice pick-like instruments through their eye sockets to sever the connection between the frontal lobe and the thalamus. This in itself would be a scary thought, but to actually go through with this would be traumatizing. I agree, and altogether this didn't really help anything because a lot of the patients ended up being in a vegetative state or dying. Many people didn't want to accept changes or ideas of science and medicine, according to Elaine G. Breeslaw, who is a visiting scholar at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and author of Lotion, Potion, Pills, and Magic Healthcare in Early America. The people were convinced that poverty was the cause of disease and not disease the result of poverty and poor living conditions. The people were so consumed with the ideas of wealth that they didn't understand the idea of disease or how it spread, causing so many deaths. A lot of people in the Western world associated death with religion and that death was caused by an imbalance of the body spiritually. So science wasn't taken under consideration. Many of these doctors didn't know the ideas of rest, efficiency, hygiene, infection, and disease, which are very important when it comes to treating patients. Doctors were really taking more than they could handle when it came to the treatment of patients because they were responsible for knowing such a wide variety of ailments. For instance, according to Cassie Nesper, who is a historical author for the Melnick Medical Museum, the doctors, we expected to treat everything from a toothache to stomach aches, fever, and sick livestock. With the doctors having to do so much work with little amount of resources, this led to a very high death rate. Death rates were so high because many of these people lacked immunity for diseases, and because of the spread of disease and infection were so foreign. According to Robert F. Riley, who is an MD and a part of the Veterans Affairs North Texas Healthcare System, Nephrology Section in Dallas, Texas, all the doctors and surgeons were doing things in an era before the germ theory of disease was established, before sterile technique and antisepsis were known, with the very few effective medications and often operating 48 to 72 hours with no sleep. It's very hard to believe that so many patients and so many people of different ages had to go through this. From not having right resources, a lack of staff, a lack of education, and how medicine worked. This was such a difficult time for both doctors and patients. Yes, I agree. Next up, we will have Olivia Halen, and she will be discussing the history behind the Spanish flu and how it affected society. Furthermore, after discussing the different remedies they used to treat the patients, we will then be talking about the advancements of treatment that have been made over time. I'm Olivia Hanlon. It is November 6, 2020, and I'm broadcasting live from Spoon River Valley. There have been many things that plagued the world in the United States. However, not many have affected them as much as the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918, or otherwise known as the H1N1 virus. This pandemic has affected society in many ways. The Spanish flu or H1N1 virus originated in birds, but then was transferred to humans. It's called the Spanish flu because World War I was happening at the time. Spain was neutral in this war, so their newspapers were the only ones reporting the deaths and infections. The name stuck with Spain because people at the time believed it originated there. The disease was, identifi- was first identified in military personnel in the spring of 1918, then spread worldwide in 1918 because of exposure to the newfound disease. The infected and recovering soldiers 
were placed almost an arm length apart in the temporary hospitals, causing the disease to spread even more. Parades and other large gatherings were common in the United States, contributing to the spread. A hundred American soldiers were buried in Devon, England, where they were killed by the disease. Disease could be found in mucus from the throat, nose, and mouth. Gargling salt water was re- recommended to military personnel. People of the United States began to get worried and anxious. People even thought leaving windows open would eliminate the spread of the disease. Face masks of gauze were used but offered a little to no protection. Medical officers even sprayed the mouths and throats of 800 men daily in the United States Army with diachloramine tea, which is a disinfectant acid. This did not really help much in the end. The most affected groups were healthy adults between the ages 20 to 40. Mortality was higher in people 5 years of age and 65 years and older. About 500 million people worldwide were affected by the disease. About 50 million deaths worldwide were recorded. In the United States alone, there were 675,000 deaths. The fatality rate was 2% in the United States. Charles Murray in 1976 reflected back on the pandemic to Hardy, Charles, and Louis B. Nunn Center for Oral History and said, A lot of people died here. I went to a funeral every day there for a week. The United States tried to avoid this pandemic. The Spanish flu was so lethal simply because there were no antibodies to treat somebody with a bacterial infection. Court officials in San Francisco held court hearings outside to prevent the spread. The U.S. released non-pharmaceutical responses including isolations, quarantine, disinfectants, and limiting public gatherings. Public health officials gathered in Chicago to discuss the next move because it had already killed 4,000 citizens in three months. And ever, nearly every porch, every porch that I'd look at had but have a casket box sitting on it. Mark Schleiss, a pediatric infectious disease specialist at the University of Minnesota, said, but that's where the death rate was really high. That's the difference than the usual flu. Clifford Adams of Philadelphia in 1984 told Hardy Charles and the Louis B. Nunn Center for Oral History they were stacked up in the cemetery and they couldn't bury them. Surprisingly, there was a jump in life expectancy because the people left behind from the pandemic were considered above average in health. Many believe the baby boom in 1920 took place partially because the flu left the healthier population behind to reproduce. The 1918 pandemic ended in the summer of 1919 due to lower death levels and high immunity levels. Sadly, the first flu vaccine was actually produced and licensed in the United States in the 1940s, which was 22 years later. The, fir- the vaccine made sure we wouldn't have a flu pandemic again in the near future. The pandemic of 1918 had a huge impact on the world. In the U.S., alternative medicine like chiropractor, acupuncture, massage, yoga, etc. took off and spread around the world. Chinese medicine did quite the opposite. Their medicine became more scientific-based after the pandemic. Many view the pandemic as a bittersweet event. It was a tragic time, but it also showed that a global health crisis should be taken seriously and not to not be lax with it. Russia was the first to implement socialized healthcare systems, followed by Western European nations. This spread, and with the socialized healthcare, the baseline health became more apparent. Society benefited from the pandemic and becoming more prepared and more cautious with medicine and healthcare. This can lead into the current pandemic today, the coronavirus, and how it has affected our society as a whole.